Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to Semaphore and Cut, a podcast for developers about building great products. I'm Olga, a product marketing manager at Semaphore. In this new episode, Darko, the podcast host, welcomes Caro Griffin, Tech Ladies Vice President. Caro and Darko talk about the gender gap in tech and how tech communities can help to close it. I hope you enjoy this new episode and let's dive in. Caro, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Excited to chat. Great. Can you please just go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. So I'm Carol Griffin, or Caroline Syrup, as I'm known on most places on the internet. I started my career as a developer back in the day, um, but made the transition to operations uh, pretty early and have been there, loving it ever since. These days, I'm the vice president of operations at Tech Ladies, which is the largest community for women in tech. So our community of over 100,000 um, women working in tech, mostly in engineering, product, and design, but we have tech ladies from all over doing all of the things that kind of power tech startups these days. And really specifically, I focus on our hiring services. So helping you know top talent in our community connect with great startups that are, are looking to hire and grow their engineering teams in particular. For the people that are not uh, not aware with your organization, can you give us uh, a bit of an intro, how it came about? And uh... any of us who've been in the industry for a while know that your your network is such an asset to have um, with your career. It's how you get opportunities. It's how you like meet more people. It's how you grow your skills. And so that's really what we're about at Tech Ladies is providing opportunities of all kinds, whether that's job opportunities or educational opportunities, networking opportunities. Like we really want to be the one-stop shop to help women grow their careers in tech and to help them stay in tech and give them the support that they need to do that. And so what really just started out as a free community and kind of a newsletter, then spawned a job board and now kind of this whole hiring services arm that we can talk more about, um, as well as a more uh, intimate paid community for tech ladies. And, you know, we have a whole like virtual event series so we're always doing, you know, different things um, to try to to try to meet our audience where they are and what they're looking for in their career. I wanted to ask, what's your uh, maybe um, personal snapshot when you started your career as a developer versus now, number of years later? I learned to code when I was a kid. I was like, I think, you know, 10, 12 when I wrote code for the first time. And, you know, it was always kind of like, the nerdy technical kid, but also really artsy. So I went to art school after high school um, in back in Chicago and graduated with an interdisciplinary art degree, which is uh, rife with career opportunities, obviously. And so I kind of fell back on what I knew, you know, could be commercially like viable. I started uh, freelancing and started teaching web development to teenagers on the side in an after-school program in Chicago and really fell in love with kind of technical education. And so I ended up, uh, I worked in online, like higher education, like building online courses for a little while and then ended up at my first startup, which was called Skill Crush. And it's a... Um, one of the largest, in terms of you know student enrollment, one of the largest boot camps for people to learn to code and to learn digital skills. And so I was there and you know taught and also kind of built the operational side of the company for almost six years before I found Tech Ladies and just got really excited about the opportunity to kind of help women in tech from a different angle. And so that's just kind of become my like life's passion, I guess, is uh, to really support other women in tech and and to kind of. It's more fun when there's more of us here. <laughs> On our side, I'm sad to say that our in our technical team, we have zero women now. At the peak, we had four. <laughs> uh, but unfortunately, you know, I don't know, it just ended being uh, li- like it is today. 
And that's unfortunately not an uncommon situation. As a general, I mean, I won't speak for all women, but as a general rule, no one wants to be the only one. No one wants to be the first one. And so it's definitely hard to counteract that. Um, And so something, especially when I talk to early stage teams, I'm like, now's the time to really, you know, to set that culture, to prioritize that, to invest into hiring a team that looks like you want it to look now and then 10 years from now. We were lucky 10 years ago because we were were part of Ruby on Rails community. And uh, yeah, original version of Sapphire was built on Ruby on Rails. And until maybe three years ago, that was our primary platform. And then in early 2010s, uh, there was a, there is still now, it's called uh, Rails Girls, like a uh, community building. And that helped us at that stage because just more people knew about us, you know, from the local community, more women. And I think that we were maybe not even aware that that was the area where, you know, that's one of the reasons why we haven't, you know, ha- had a problem with that, having a more diverse team, you know, more, more. Both Ruby on Rails' communities that were existed, you know, locally here have kind of, you know, not that active anymore. Rails Girls also existed for maybe a couple of, maybe like five years or so, maybe maybe a bit more. But over time, that also unfortunately, unfortunately disappeared, you know. Yeah, it's a lot of like unglamorous, unpaid work, right? And it's hard to make community work sustainable, Tech ladies, we think about that a lot, right? Because like at the end of the day, we're a community. So how do you make this sustainable so that people can be paid to work on it and work on it full time and like give it the effort and the time it deserves, right? Because like I was a big fan of Rails Girls back in the day and had a lot of friends who were like, you know, very involved with uh, the core team, particularly in Berlin. And like, it just, that's really sad (laughs) to hear that like that was such a great a great entry point for so many women into the language, but also and into that community, but also for companies who are hiring, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You mentioned there is a, a piece of advice that you give to, you know, tech lead CTOs, whoever founders, and, you know, it's up to them to do it or not. Feel free to share that. <laughs> it really comes down to, I think, first and foremost, meeting people where they are. And so if you're only hiring from your network or from the places that you hang out, you're going to find people who look like you, um, who, you know, have a similar education or a similar, similar socioeconomic background, like, Um, And so really, I think taking the, and it takes longer, right? Like I'm the first one to say that like, it's going to be more expensive and it's going to take longer. You really have to, I think, buy in on the fact that a diverse team is a more profitable functional team and that like those benefits are going to pay in dividends later. Because I think if you're doing this as lip service or to have women in a staff photo, so you don't get called out on Twitter, it's like, it's not going to work. So when I say like meet people where they are, I think it is about finding these organizations like Rails Girls, like Tech Ladies, like, um, you know, there's just so many different ones um, for not only women, but for people of color and for, you know, military spouses and like people who just have all these different backgrounds who I can point to specific scenarios where hiring people who are different than me, like they were able to be in a meeting and point out something that I never would have thought of because I didn't have that experience, right? So I think starting there and by investing in not just posting a job on a job board and calling it a day. Like, okay, I did it. I paid the bill. I checked the box, right? But like, how do you get involved in these communities? How do you show up to their um, their demo days, their portfolio reviews for bootcamp grads? How do you sponsor their meetups? How do you like present at their conferences? How do you like make yourself known in the community? Tech Ladies, we have a whole success stories page on our website, which is hiretechladies.com slash success. And I think it's 
so interesting to go through and, and see these testimonials from women who got hired at our partner companies who were like seeing that they were partners with tech ladies for months. I was always seeing their job postings. I was always seeing them at events and things like that. It showed me that they cared you know, like that they were invested, that this wasn't a lip service thing. And so I think that goes a long way. And then I think it's also about your job descriptions. It's not just running it through like Textio. It's like really looking at it and making sure that every requirement on your job posting is an actual requirement. And so something I really encourage our hiring managers to do a lot is to look at them and say, could an otherwise really stellar applicant do this job without this thing? Then it's not a requirement. It's a nice to have. So like maybe we should move it to that section. And so like, you know, how do we not only sell the job, but use this as a marketing tool? Like your job description is think of it as a sales page because that's what it is. It should pitch your company, your mission, your product, get someone to believe in that instead of just being like a, like a wish list of like everything you need in this person. You don't want to discourage all applicants from applying. You want to, to get as many as you can and then sort through them later, right? And so I think being really open about uh, compensation, about benefits, about your values, about what your team is like, about who they're going to be working with. These are all some really specific things that I've seen companies have a lot of success with lately, like even just like linking to the LinkedIn's of like who they're going to work with on the team and like what the background of those people is, you know, because like more information is going to be better, particularly from people in tech who are used to feeling like the odd person out on their team and feeling like they don't belong. Um, Giving them more information up front can be really helpful. And number one, compensation and benefits are like the most, that's like the biggest leverage point (laughs) that you have. Um, And it like brings the biggest return, particularly for candidates in our community that we've seen. And then I would say my third like big piece of advice is to not rely just on job boards. It's and on communities, it's to like more proactively go after candidates, whether that be on LinkedIn or using something like a candidate database, a resume book. So tech ladies, like we have a candidate database. We realized that it wasn't enough for our partners to be able to just like put job postings up on a job board because that requires a candidate to be like looking at the job board during that two week period where it was live and to have time to like apply and fill out what might be a long application at that point. And so by building a candidate database where we have, you know, some of our best candidates, like we have all of our information ready for our hiring managers so that you can proactively reach out to them and pitch them on your job. I think like it's like a three-pronged approach. And I think like doing all of it is when you're going to get the best results, but even just like chipping away at it um, can make a really big difference. Microservices architecture is all their age these days. But do you know what it really means and how to implement it to empower your teams to make the best decision for the problem at hand? On the Semaphore blog, you can learn about microservices and how to take advantage of features like test reports, on a repo, and Docker support to build, test, and deploy your microservice application at scale. Head over to semaphoreci.com blog for more information. And happy reading! Especially the thing when, you know, uh, adjusting the job end and the job description is that uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, we had a number of iterations where it was like what people like to do, seven years of experience in a very particular technology. <laughs> Something I see a lot too is a, is a bachelor's degree in computer science or a master's degree in computer science. And, you know, anyone who's looked at the stats knows that that eliminates a lot of women right there because women are about 10%, depending on what numbers you look at, at computer science uh, degrees. And that doesn't mean that they don't have the skills. And so I like totally get why companies put that on there. They're like, we really need those like kind of like object-oriented programming, like fundamentals that a lot of, for example, I think the concern is that like a lot of bootcamp grads don't have those. And so they're trying to weed those out. 
but it also weeds out a lot of women who are self-taught or like learn through an apprenticeship or, you know, on the job experience because they trained, like they switched from a marketing department or something. And so instead focusing on like, how can we rephrase this to be a more inclusive requirement that still gets at what we need, which is like, we need you to have these these particular programming fundamentals. And like, how do we test for that and screen for that instead of immediately throwing that wall up on the job description? Six years ago, we dropped, you know, requirements for bachelor degree or master degree in computer science in particular. And then maybe I'm just, you know, guessing here, but roughly speaking, maybe three years later after that, we dropped that, you know, you have to have experience in this particular language because that really proved that it doesn't make sense. You know, people just experience show that people who are just, you know, motivated and wanted to learn and very eager, essentially much better than the people who had experience in that particular language of technology. So that one is like, I can relate to maybe some, you know, huge companies where there are like, you know, some very specific tech stacks or something like that. But yeah, that one is really... Yeah, and there's some situations <laughs> where like, you definitely need those requirements, right? Like we've worked with some where like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, some, you know, super advanced algorithms, you know, that do this and that and computer science is okay, absolutely a must, but, you know, vast majority of the jobs don't really have those requirements. Yeah, and so it's just about, like, really prompting yourself to be like, am I putting on this job description out of habit or is this something that, like, is really necessary? Like, if this candidate was, like you're saying, motivated, driven, like a self-starter, really skilled in other areas, you know, I think something that also comes up a lot for me is, like, cool, but like, could you give them a few weeks to get up to speed on this like new library or something? Or do you want to spend those couple weeks like continuing to look for someone who already has that experience, right? Like, you know, I've seen companies say like no to, to doing something and it takes them six months longer to make the hire. And I'm like, you could have upskilled someone in those six months, right? And been making progress on your product, you know, on your team, like whatever. If you're posting the same job description, over and over again in the same places and hoping for a different pool of candidates. Like, I think we found the problem. <laughs> Maybe like in 2015 was there where we, you know, hired the first lady into our tech team. Then it was a team of maybe five or six engineers. And uh, that's actually the point where we, this we went remote. Not fully remote, but we, you know, started becoming a remote company. And yeah, so in my head, it's going to stay connected that, you know, hiring women and you know, remote <laughs> kind of are connected things. And, you know, especially with now COVID and, you know, remote being, you know, kind of more than a de facto standard than anything else. Is there a difference that you have seen with your organization that some things are easier than there was or? To really increase like the gradients of what it means to be remote. And that was something like we had to quickly put some definitions around where it's like, it's not remote if you have to be at your office. If you have to be at an office once a week even or every other week, then it's not a remote wor- role. It's a work from work from home friendly role is what we consider it. And so being able to kind of encourage partners pretty quickly to say like, to really define what remote means in that context, because now comp- now candidates are getting wise to the fact that like remote looks different in different places. And so I think the same advantage that remote companies had three years ago in terms of access to a much higher caliber of talent often for less money, I think is now that same advantage is going to companies who work asynchronously and have more flexible schedules because before being remote was enough. And now it's that flexibility, which is really what people wanted to begin with, with the remote context in a lot of ways. It's really honing in on that. And so I really encourage a lot of our hiring partners to focus on like putting a little blurb in the, in the job postings and on their website or their about page, their careers page, 
um, about what remote means to them. Even if it's just a couple sentences about like, we are fully remote. We don't expect you to go to the office. We would like you to come to our team retreats twice a year. Or we need you to come to the office once a week. So you need to be in a distance you're willing to commute once a week from this office. Or like we have these core working hours. Or no, you need to be in front of your computer from 9 to 5 Eastern time, no matter what time zone you're in. Or we only hire in the U.S. We only hire within people who can overlap with these time zones. You know, this like remote USA only um, has been a big thing that we've seen as well as, as so many U.S. startups wanting to go remote, but still only want to hire from the U.S. And so that's something I'm always trying to like suss out of like, are you really U.S. only or are you like American time zones only? Like, what are you what are you trying to get at? And so I think as much as companies can like really spell that out, it's going to get you better qualified applicants and it's just going to take guesswork out. In terms of like benefits and like maternity leave in particular, is there maybe something that you are seeing how people are handling that in particular with remote work? Because then it's different there and there are different jurisdictions and, you know. I think a lot of companies are still figuring it out, like myself included, um, in running ops teams in the past. It's always been pretty difficult, especially for like smaller bootstrap teams in the U.S., like our government is not doing right by us, you know, like there's just, there's not the institutional support there. But if you want to support women on your team, parental leave is, is a non-negotiable, right? If you do not have good paid parental leave for both women, men, fostered children, adopted children for like across the board, like you're, you're going to suffer on a diversity standpoint. And so it's one of the best investments that you can make, but it's also one of the most expensive. Oftentimes it comes down to what can the company afford to pay? And we will standardize that because that's within our control. And then if your government mandates something different or gives you additional benefits, then that is extra. And we will support that to the degree that either A, we're required to, depending on how you're employed, or B, the degree that the business can support it. Yeah, yeah. One reasoning that we had is that just in practice, you know, there were like more men on the team. And you said that's the most most expensive benefit. But if you reason about it, that you split it across all employees, you know, employees getting that benefit, you know, but, you know maybe a, a, a new mother. But as a company, when you distribute it over the team, so it's not that big of <laughs> often depending how you reason about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, and I just mean the most expensive benefit in that like paying... For, for example, if someone goes on leave for three months and we have to backfill that role, paying that three months of salary is going to be more expensive than paying for someone's health insurance. Or Yeah. And so it really, you said it, you have to kind of like, it's like utilization, right? Like you have to go across the whole team. And, and I think at another thing too, when you start to like look at it from a, a headcount standpoint too, like really encouraging um, sorry, I'm going to go get on my soapbox for a minute because I do think one of the best things that like men in tech can do is take their parental leave <laughs> and to like max it out, not only for like their partners and their children, but also just to like normalize that this is parental leave. It's not just maternal leave. Right. And that like men should get the exact same amount of time as women do. Okay. And uh, let's say for the ladies that, uh, that are listening to the podcast, can you describe your what like services or you know how does generally your community and uh, you can help women yeah so we'd love to have any women or non-binary individuals in tech join our community that's what we're here for is to support you and help you achieve your career goals no matter what they are so um, we do have a free membership at hiretechladies.com uh, that's our website and anyone can join. There's a really simple form on the website and that will hook you up to our, basically our free community. Um, so we have like a community group where you can like talk to other tech ladies. And then we have a newsletter, which is kind of um, our weekly hub on kind of like the events that we're having, whether that's like 
speed networking or like an informational webinar or a hiring event. And then we also have our job board. And so that's members only as well. And so that's where we work with our hiring partners, help companies post on the job board, but also access our candidate database and connect with tech ladies in a whole bunch of different ways. People who are maybe just want to get into, you know, customer success in tech or, you know, account management and sales. Are all of those positions something that you help with or it's just, you know, development or really tech tech? No, we um, will help any women in any role in tech um, and also in uh, technical roles in non-tech companies. It's kind of been a growing population, too, um, in our community. If you can pitch your services to me as, as like, a, let's say someone who is in a, in a tech position and, you know, wants to learn more how you can help. I think bring, it's really helping you with all the things that it's hard to make time to do as like a founder or as like a technical leader. And so it's really helping you develop that strategy, which my recommendation is generally to kind of go three different prongs. It's like, what can you do to get involved in communities where the people you want to hire are? posting on our drop board and then going directly to the source by reaching out to candidates who match your criteria on the candidate database. And uh, is there maybe something that I should have asked and I didn't or uh, a message that (laughs) should get out there? If you're a woman in tech, please come join us at Tech Ladies. We have a lot of fun together. And if you're a hiring partner, I would love to hook you up with some awesome women in tech who are going to be a great fit for your team. And for the people who want to learn more about you and... Uh... Yeah, sure. I'm carolinesurup.com uh, and I'm Caroline Syrup on Twitter uh, and Carol Griffin on LinkedIn. It was a very interesting conversation. Good luck. Yeah, thanks for having me. What a great conversation. Paro is really passionate about teaching us the value of sustainable communities and encouraging companies to diversify their teams to grow their business. Make sure to subscribe to Semaphore and Cut on your podcast player of choice so that you don't miss our new episodes and stay tuned.